wanted to just be a songwriter. Right. And not a recording artist, not a singer, not a performer, just a songwriter for other people. Because I never liked my own voice. I'm this white kid from Hicksville, and I, I sounded like a you know, Long Island kid, and I didn't want to sound like that. I wanted to sound like Ray Charles. I wanted to sound like uh, uh, Rod Stewart. I right. wanted to sound like... Uh, Robert Plant. Cream. Hendrix, yeah. yeah, right, yeah. Uh, the the Beatles, the Stones, anybody but me. Wow. Um, so, and I've often been accused of being a, a mimic uh, or um, derivative. Yes, I'm derivative. I'm derivative as hell. And a matter of fact, if being derivative disqualified you from being in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, there wouldn't be any white people there because <laughs> all right. they did was happy, copy black music. That's what rock what, and roll came from. Come on. Billy, what, what was the song you wrote where you said, I, I envisioned being Mick Jagger uh, singing to his girlfriend? What was the song that you did? Oh, that was Big Shot. Big Shot. Uh, and you said, yeah. yeah. You wrote it from the point of view of, some guy wakes up with a hangover, he's looking in the mirror, and you're saying, now I'm Mick Jagger looking at myself and, and like, just kind of, uh, you're channeling him, right? I just pictured him yelling at Bianca Jagger uh, <laughs> after they went out and sh she had too much to drink or something. It was my own, you know, it's a fantasy. fantasy. This isn't based on anything real. But there you go. <laughs> there it is. Yeah! Just Great song. Dancing around. Bianca. Yeah, I hear it. <laughs> when you sing that in concert, do you think consciously of Mick Jagger? Do you go, hmm? I, I'm actually thinking, don't sound too much like Mick Jagger. Because it's oh. so easy to fall into that. Right. Uh, I, I have to be Billy Joel at, at times. <laughs> you got to be yourself. It is yeah. weird. Like you can you can channel it, and then after a while, it does become your own song. The, the, you know, yeah. I read such a great thing about. Um, I know I'm jumping around here, but um, uh, the prelude on Angry Young Man. I never knew this. You've said that, and now I get it when I listen to it. You're playing Wipeout, the song Wipeout, the drum solo yes. on your yes. on your piano keys, and I you went, have Wipeout oh, there. Well, hell, I, I'll, I'll, Fred, pull up Wipeout, but. Here, I'm going to play the prelude, okay? Okay. Huh. I'm like, how do you do that so fast? But it's Wipeout. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, you're real. And when I see you do it in concert, I mean, you're hammering those keys like a drummer. Yeah. It's amazing. Well, Fred, you got wipe out there? See if you can pull it up real fast. <laughs> I tried playing that a million times. There it is. What a song. Oh, uh, wow. So every kid, I think every kid in my class was trying to play Wipeout on the desk before the class started, before the teacher got in the room. Everybody's going, right. yeah. hey, look, I can do it. <laughs> yeah, I thought I was a drummer because I'd go. You know, it's like, oh, I, go. hey, I'm good. There you go. Oh, you did it too. Oh, oh please. Constantly. Constantly. Well, do, and I thought it, so all you do is pick one note on the piano and play it with two two fingers. Same thing. Wow. Yeah, it's that easy. You see, I could have written that song if I had only known that. There you go. Um, you know, one of my, my favorite songs off of uh, Street Life Serenade is The Entertainer. But you said you wrote that on a guitar. How different is it writing a song uh, on guitar than piano? Or is there really a difference? There is a difference. Um, the physics of the guitar... Uh, make it, uh, they, they force you to play in certain physical ways that you wouldn't play on a piano. Uh, the, the entertainer goes, zhang, 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 zhang. it's kind of like a folk 
uh, rhythm. It's a natural way to move your hmm. arm when you have a guitar in your hands, uh, where you wouldn't play on a piano. So yeah. it's, it's not that it forces you to, it just lean, it leans that way. Uh, a piano, there's certain rhythms that are, that come natural because of the layout of the keys and the physics of the piano. A guitar, you can play, and you can't do that on a piano. You can play, it's like if I tried to play Led Zeppelin on a piano, it sounds stupid. And you, you would never write that stuff on a piano, but you would write it on a guitar. So the you physics know, dictate what you, what you write. I have a thought, like, like, um, you know, part of like, I think why you don't write uh, any like songs that, that with lyrics and everything is, I realize so much of your music is about real life. And like, like even like when you, the years you sat in a bar and played and you got to observe people and, and write about them in a sense, you've become so successful and, and by necessity reclusive that you don't interact the same way with people anymore. You're more observed than you can observe, be the observer. And maybe that's why it becomes hard too. uh, well, I, I, yeah, I wrote myself out of the narrative. Right. Yeah. I mean, in a sense, you're you're pretty isolated. It's not like yeah. you some some guy called in this morning. He said, um, I forget. He saw you um, at your house uh, sitting there and uh, playing an accordion or something uh, on the roof or, or something like that. So you do try to mingle. You you mingle way more than I do. But still, wherever you go, people are like, oh, there's Billy Joel. And that kind of ruins the moment. You can't go out and observe anyone. I can't be the fly on the wall anymore. No, right. Um my observations of, of life are in a, from a bubble. Look, I, I recognize I've been very fortunate in my life. I live in this rock star bubble. I do. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I have friends who don't, but uh, it's, it's not something I would write about anymore. Um, it, it's not as interesting to me as that other kind of life was. Uh, I, I like my life. I, I enjoy my life, but that has nothing to do with like the rest of the world anymore. Billy, why, why, I don't know if I've ever asked you this before, but I'm curious, has any, um, uh, buddy, young guys or whatever coming up, come to you and said, Billy, I want you to produce my, my music. I want you to, uh, would you, would you help me write my song? I can't figure out the hook here. Don't they seek you out these guys to, to sort of help them maybe with a melody or something like that in a studio? Yeah, from time to time, a, a, a younger artist will ask if I'm interested in co-writing with them or helping to produce them or coming up with something new, uh, men and women writers. Right. Um, uh, but I, I always beg off. I, I, I'm not Why? interested in doing that. Why not, though? Wouldn't that be fun for you? I mean, in a sense, you're, you're a very good teacher. I've been around you. You like mentoring people. You like explaining the business to them. Why not? Why not have some like fun with helping, that? I like helping people, and I like being able to guide people uh, to avoid making the same mistakes I made. But I don't want to get hooked into having to write again. when, it, If it's not my own idea or if it's not something I want to do, I'm not going to do it. Because it turns out it's not going to be very good if I don't want to do it. It's not going to be there real. Was there, yeah, it's true, but was there ever a point in your career? I was thinking, I was watching the Traveling Wilburys, and uh, I thought that was a pretty damn good super group. Was there ever some moment in your career where, I don't know, maybe George Harrison came to you, or maybe uh, McCartney himself came to you, or somebody came to you and said, let's do a thing where, you know, we're all accomplished guys, we'll all do our thing, and, and, and make some kind of super group. I would think you'd be the guy they would come to for something like that. Uh, it's, there's a few people, um, uh, Hall and Oates, uh, John Oates asked me to co collaborate with him, but I couldn't figure out what to do. This is a long time ago. This is almost 30 right. years ago. Right. Uh, Bert Bacharach wanted me to write a song with him, but he wanted me to write the words. Now I'm the hmm. guy who writes the music first. I, I don't write lyrics off the, off the cuff like Bernie Taupin does with Elton. Right. Um, I have to have the music first. So Burt Backrack was trying to explain this musical idea he had. The guy can't sing. The guy can write, 
like nobody's business. He can write right. great songs, but he can't sing. And he sings like this. <laughs> and I'm listening going, what the hell are you doing? What right. does that mean? <laughs> Sorry, I, I don't get it. And I, I, I couldn't finish the project. The only person I've actually really ever collaborated with was Cindy Lauper. Hmm. Uh, I was stuck on a song. The name of the song is Code of Silence. So right. I'm already, you know, it's, it's already difficult. Code of, how do you write about silence? Right. Uh, without it being sounds of silence. And uh, <laughs> so Cindy says, she sees me in the studio. She goes, you're really having a tough time with these words, aren't you? And I said, yeah. She goes, well, just you play the song and just throw out some words when, you, when you're playing and I'll make some sense out of it and we'll figure it out. And Cindy, I don't want to do this. No, 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 you go ahead. You know, she was like a, you know, the queen's chick pushing me to do something. Come on, you can do it, Billy. Come on, come on. Let's figure this out. So we came up with these lyrics. I gave her credit. She's, I think, the only other co-writer I was ever able to work with because she did all the work. Wow. Uh, you get annoyed. Other... Oh, go ahead. The only other, I, I didn't mean to interrupt. You were saying oh, the, the, only the only other uh, writer I gave credit to, to uh, on a collaboration was Ludwig von Beethoven because I stole <laughs> a piece of his music. But I gave him credit. I didn't pay him, but I, I gave him credit. <laughs> you know, when you were just talking about Burt Bacharach, I'm saying, you know, like, like you're so fortunate in a way that not only can you compose, but you can sing. You can sing. You know, that's another gift which people, you know, take for granted. Could you imagine the frustration? If you had been like Burt Bacharach, if you wrote these beautiful songs and you couldn't sing them yourself, that you had to get, you know, Roger Daltrey to sing them or, or get Dionne a bunch Warwick. of guys, <laughs> Dion Warwick to sing. I mean, wouldn't that have been a major frustration for you? I think I would have been okay as really? long as other people were doing the material that I wrote. Because like I said, when I started out, I just wanted to be a songwriter. And the right. advice I got was, well, this is the singer-songwriter era. you got to remember, this is the early 70s, late 60s, when singer-songwriters were all the rage. James Taylor, Jackson Brown, Jimmy Webb, Carole King, uh, Harry Chapin. Uh, who's the guy who did Bad, Bad, Leroy Brown? Oh, uh, 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 Jim Croce. Uh, Jim, yeah, Jim Croce. Jim Croce. Right. Uh, there were a lot of singer-songwriters. So I was told, you should make your own album. Now, it so happens I can carry a tune, and I don't sing out of pitch, but I don't think I'm a very good singer. Oh, I'm not a singer on. like, no, Ray oh. Charles is a good singer. Nat King Cole is a great singer. Sam Cooke is a great singer. Marvin Gaye is a great singer. Rita Franklin was a great singer. Me, I don't, I don't really? care for my voice that much. Are you you really don't you you, you no. listen to the so so when you listen back to a record you say oh okay were you were you pained when you would record a lot of albums and say no let's do it again let's do it again let's do it again because you were so critical of your own voice well no I I hated doing it again and again if I did I had to do a song more than three times in the recording studio I hated the song I started to hate it. Yeah. It's like I I will not chew gum in class when you have to write that on a blackboard 500 times. Uh, so, having to so sing maybe, a song over and over again, I hated it. So maybe this explains, like, I, I know it's legendary. When you first put out Cold Spring Harbor, that was your first album, and then the, somebody at the record company completely fucked up, and, they, and it was sped up. It was at the wrong speed. So as a guy who doesn't love his own voice, that first time when you heard, you know, uh, Cold Spring Harbor, She's Got Away, you were probably completely freaked out. Did they, did they, did, did they speed up my voice because they didn't like it or something? Like, were you paranoid? Listen how beautiful. Oh, what a song. Are you in pain hearing this? Yes. Oh, it's so hate, beautiful. hate my voice on this song. Really? Shut up. <laughs> really? You hate that person? I feel like John Belushi in Animal House. I want to smash him over the head with a guitar. Really? God, you see? Oh, if I could sing like that. Wow. I'm torturing you, aren't I? If I want, would hell, what is your version of hell? They play that song over and over again. And uh, yes. hearing my voice speed it up like a chick bump. That's uh, my version of hell. 
uh, when I first got the a copy after it had been speeded <laughs> up, I had this acetate. They used to call them an acetate. Yeah. And I pulled it off the turntable and threw it down the street like a Frisbee. I said, that sucks. Did you and call the guy at the record company? Did you call the yeah, guy at the record company? What the hell happened to my voice? Yeah. And it, no, no, it's already been pressed and it's out and it's too late. And that's the end of that. Oh, man. Oh, but was the that, song, beca- the, the song became a good fellas. Well, yeah. something happened and uh, we feel bad about it and he's gone. And, right. and that's it. And that's all there is. <laughs> but you got to put the song out in uh, songs in the attic and then you liked it better. Right. I mean, you got to. Well, I got to do it at the right speed and I got to do it with my own natural voice. Right. Which I still don't. I still don't care for it too much. I, I, I don't you, think of myself as a singer. I'm a piano player. Will you do this song in concert or like when you play the garden coming up? Would you do this song in concert and, and be happy with sometimes, it? Sometimes. Sometimes we do it. Uh, sometimes we do it. But as I'm singing and I get to some of the verses and I thought that could have been written better. That could have been. I'm wow. always self-criticizing as I go along. Like, I think there's some songs I wrote that I think are really good, and there's some stuff I wrote that's okay, and there's some stuff I wrote that sucks. Uh, I can't can't help it. I'm I'm my own worst critic. Talk to me for for a second about this song, um, You're My Home. Uh, The reason I'm asking about it is uh, you were very gracious at my wedding. You you played this when I got married, uh, and Beth even said to me, well, why did Billy pick that song? This is the song, by the way. Um, I know a lot of people love this song. This is their favorite Billy Joel song. Uh, You know, it's just a great song. But uh, I I guess we were curious. Beautiful song. Didn't you ask me for this one? No, you got up and did this. Did Beth ask me for this one? No. She doesn't know why. I swear, we 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 were. You just got up, and you know, I didn't want to bug you, but you said, uh, "Hey, I'm going to get up and do something for you guys." Oh. And um, yeah, and Phoebe Snow was there, and uh, there was a lot of musicians there at my wedding, and and you got up and did this, and I was like, my, "Wow." My memory was that somebody requested that particular song at your wedding. That that was wow. one of your favorite songs. Maybe somebody else knew it was. One of your favorites and told me maybe Phoebe Snow asked me. Maybe. I don't remember. But for some reason, that's the song I do, which I wouldn't have done normally. Uh, you know, just off the cuff. Um, I was actually thinking of Gordon Lightfoot when I wrote that song. You know Gordon Lightfoot? Yeah, of course Ooh. I know Gordon Lightfoot. Yeah. Canadian what do you mean? You, you, you were channel. What song in particular were you thinking about? Um... If you could read my mind, love, what uh-huh. a tale my thoughts would tell. Uh, <laughs> there's a couple of uh, Don Quixote. I love Gordon Lightfoot. He's one of my favorite right. singers. But I was thinking this would be a great song for Gordon Lightfoot to do when I was writing it. Yeah, there he is. It's Gordon. I love how you do that. Like, you think of Gordon and you go, hey, hmm, what would Gordon do here? And then you come up with your own song. It's, it's really quite a remarkable process. Well, I, I create what I want to hear. Uh, I've been asked, who are you writing for? You're writing for an audience. You're writing for radio. You're writing for critics. You're writing for the record company. You're writing to make money. No, I'm writing what I want to hear. Right. Uh, sometimes I try to recreate the Beatles because they broke up and I can't hear the new Beatles anymore. Sometimes right. I want to hear a Gordon Lightfoot song, so I'll write my own. Sometimes I want to hear Cream. Sometimes I want to hear Hendrix. Sometimes I want to hear Zeppelin. Uh, sometimes, you know, it, it's... It's just I write what I want to hear. What do I want to hear? Maybe it's selfish, but that's how I write. No, I think that's great. I think that any true artist writes for themselves. Like when I when I read about painters, great painters, they never responded to the thing of the day. Oh, gee, everybody wants a landscape. I'll paint landscape. The greats painted what they felt in their heart would move them. And that's what you're describing. Tell me about now, now, Captain Jack. You've been very critical of this song, which I can't even believe. It's one of my favorite songs you ever wrote. And when you, you know, it's just a, a, a monumental achievement, Captain Jack. And you say, "Eh, this song, it's kind of depressing and dreary. I don't think it's one of my best." Is, is that accurate? It's dreary. It's two chords for a long time. F, B flat seven. F major, <laughs> B flat seven. I hate too much repetition. F. 
Ooh, a chord change. <laughs> hey, ooh, another chord change. <laughs> wow, what a relief. Now, here we go back to the dreary. So you go to F. the village in your, in your tie-dye Really? And you stare at the How about when the song really kicks in? That doesn't excite you? Well, the, the chorus, you mean. Like Captain Jack will get you high tonight. Get you high tonight, yeah. That's about Long Island kids, right? Who just kind of dreary life and they get high and then all of a sudden they've got this excitement, right? <laughs> You're goofing on this song right now. I mean, I can't even believe it. Come on. First of all, this song, this song, Billy, here you were, you did your first record for that shitty record company. Uh, they fucked up the audio, everything. You run off to L.A. You even go under the name uh, Bill Martin, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because you can't use your name. And you're, and you're working in some, you know, shitty bar. Everyone can't even believe you're at the bar. And somehow you had done a recording of this song live. Somebody recorded it. Clive Davis. Philadelphia. Yeah. There you go. And Clive Davis, here's the recording that you did of Captain Jack. And he signs you immediately. He has to have you on his label. That's a pretty good fucking song. I mean, that's, that's kind of one of those lucky break songs, you know, Uh, well, Captain Jack. I'm wondering if if that's what happened. I, I know somebody saw me at some festival in 72 called the Mary Soul Festival in Puerto Rico in the middle of some frickin' jungle where <laughs> kids were getting sunstroke and insect bites and then pissing out and all kinds of drugs going on. And we came on and I did a Joe Cocker song and I looked like Joe Cocker and I had a football jersey and Joe Cocker was supposed to do this festival. So we weren't really going over that well. I said, let's do the Joe Cocker song. Hey, feeling all right? And I did my Joe Cocker. <laughs> the crowd rushes to stage. <laughs> it's Joe Cocker. And we went, went down great. You know, everybody thought, hey, great. Because maybe not a lot of people were that familiar with Joe Cocker. And then we walked off the stage, got an ovation. Hey, and then we came back and did a uh, uh, little help from my friends. Anyway, somebody, somebody saw me at that festival. So we got to sign that guy. Because that's oh. the story I heard. Maybe it was somebody from Columbia Records who said you got to sign the Or maybe it was Clive hearing Captain Jack. But Captain Jack, okay, it's about suburban kids who go score smack because uh, that's their big, you know, thrill in life is just getting high on heroin, which I, I never understood. But it's me. I'm kind of preachy in the song. I'm being judgmental. I'm hmm. making fun of this poor kid picking his nose. You know, and jerking off yeah. at home. And, yeah. I, and I, I, I hear the lyrics and I say, who the hell are you to be judgmental? You know, I've had issues with drinking. You know, I, I, I'm not perfect. Uh, right. You know, who are you to preach at people? And then I, I do like the music part that goes, bomb, da da ding, bomb, bomb. I thought that was uh, interesting. But I have to, having done this song so much, I have demoted him. From Captain Jack to Private Jack. Really? But you'll do, but people want to hear that song in contrast, I assume. So if you, if you're doing the garden, by the way, I should, I should mention, Billy, there's a couple of things going on as we're going through your catalog here and hopping all around all your music. Uh, Billy returns for his monthly residency at the garden on November 5th. Um, Billy Joel, the vinyl collection, volume one will be available next Friday. Did you know that? That your vinyl collection is coming out? You didn't have any idea. Uh, uh, I heard something about this vinyl collection, yeah. Yeah, that, but that's uh, pretty exciting. Sony, Sony put together. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's thrilling. Well, let me, no, no, don't be cavalier about it, but would you care about vinyl at all? I mean, do you sit at home and yeah, with a yeah, record player? I, oh, you do? I like vinyl. I do like vinyl. I have, I have new, new turntables now, and I'm psyched about vinyl, yes. So you I sit like at home? going and- back there. You really, and and you sit at home and you take out uh, an album and you'll put it on and you'll and you'll play it. That's what you do. Yes, I like the analog sound. Uh, there's something about it that's warm and maybe it's familiar. That uh, I was I, I doing like... this. I was doing the stats, man. It is. I, I should pull them out. It is really quite incredible. The I'm talking about the amount of out, 150 million albums sold. Uh, they said you're the 
third most successful selling solo artist of all time in the history of the world. Uh, the, the, the 33 consecutive top 40 hits, six Grammys, Kennedy Center honoree. Is that fun, the Kennedy Center thing? Or, uh, yeah, that was fun. That it was, was fun. Cool. Very, Who else very was there? cool. Who was up there? Uh, with you? Herbie Hancock was there with me. Shirley wow. McLean was there. Um, that was a, that was a fun. I got to meet the Obamas. Uh, right. We got to go to the White House. Uh, that was a fun night. Absolutely. But listen to this. November 5th will be your 74th show on this run at the residency of the Madison Square Garden. Can you imagine? What does that thing hold? 20,000 seats or something like that? Yes, yeah, 20,000 seats. When it's sold <laughs> you out. played there 74 times every time sold out. Well, actually, we played there almost 120 times. Wow. Uh, that's oh. just 70. In this particular run, it's 74 oh. consecutive shows till we got interrupted by the COVID. Right. Yeah. But oh, in total, it's, uh, it's like 120. Uh, I, I heard the biggest rush for you. And this has got to be any guy from Long Island. Instead of schlepping into uh, Manhattan from Long Island, you get on the helicopter. You're there in 15 minutes to your gig. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you're laughing. It's pretty funny, right? It's so cool because remember in the movie Hard Day's Night? Yeah. The finale of the movie is they actually take off in a helicopter. The Beatles get into a helicopter. It's the ultimate rock and roll exit. So that's what I do to go to the garden. I take, a, I get in a helicopter and they fly me to New York City. It takes me longer to get from the helipad in New York City to the garden than it does from my house in Long Island to New York City. It's unbelievable. That's when you feel like a rock star, like you made it, when you're helicoptering into the gig, right? It's such a rush. It's a thrill. I'm looking at the skyline of New York lit up at night. It's so beautiful. It's so magnificent. And I'm flying over the city, and I see the garden from the air. It's, oh, please don't let this thing fall down. You know, there's, there's that thrill, too. With the <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They'll helicopter scare the shit out of me. Yeah, me too. I, I'm yeah. scared. And you have two pilots, right? I mean, not just one. But two pilots, two engines, two... Voters, uh, to, to, yeah, redundant everything. <laughs> your backstage ritual when you do The Garden or any other show, it's pretty simple. Like uh, in your writer, I think Elton John once said uh, when he used to tour with you that in your writer it was like popcorn and deli food. And uh, that was it. You know, he said it looked like the back of a deli when, in, <laughs> when he went into your room. Is it still like that? Or now that you've lost the weight and you're watching what you eat, are you doing a, 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 a stricter backstage regimen? Well, I never ate food before a show anyway. So right. all of the food that was in my dressing room, whether it was slabs of deli meat or uh, popcorn, that was for guests. I never right. eat before a show. Uh, Why? Because you can't go on stage with a full stomach. You, you, right. you can't be digesting food while you're trying to sing. It's, it, it doesn't work. Uh, you need to be hungry. You need to be uh, digestion-free. Uh, you need to have as much room in your thorax and your abdomen for your lungs to go up and down. And you need to be a little bit angry because you're hungry. You need that edge. <laughs> yeah. You want to go on stage like, I'm hungry, and you people probably ate already. So, damn it. And it gives you that, ah, you know, the, that uh, edge to get to do the show. I'm going to tell my audience something that um, I'm sure you've never spoken about, but I happen to know because I know your wife. And uh, Beth knows your wife. But um, during COVID, I, uh, first of all, was it aggravating for you during COVID that you couldn't perform or did you welcome the rest? It was kind of aggravating. Uh, right. Part of it was aggravating. Part of it was very enjoyable because I got to be home with my kids for a long time. I got to know them. I got to hang out with them, which a lot of parents, a lot of fathers don't get to do that right. much because they have to go to work and they're away from the kids all day. I was with the kids a lot. And... I, you know, at my age to have young children is a totally different thing than when you're young, younger. Uh, I, I, it's so much joy going on with these young children. Um, on the it's other not hand, exhausting. It was, it's not it's exhausting. exhausting. It's exhausting. It's, exhausting. it's gotta be. It's yes. Totally exhausting. Cause I'm at grandfather age. I take right. the kids to school and other parents go, Oh, your grandchildren are beautiful. So I just go, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Shut up. Right. Yeah. No, it's okay. Yeah. I mean, no, I am there, that age. 
But the, yeah, it, it's it's uh, yeah. Sometimes I think about you and I go, I wonder how Billy's doing. I mean, really doing with having two young kids at home because uh, it's tough. It's tough. It can it, is. it can be tough, but it, it's there's also a lot of joy involved. But also there was a lot of aggravation. You're stuck. You can't go anywhere. You're paranoid about seeing people. You can't have people over. You can't go over their place. You're stuck in the house. I got a nice house. I'm very fortunate. I right. have a nice house. So being home isn't that bad. But uh, after a while, it became like I got cabin fever. I got to get out of here. I got to go somewhere. I got to do something. But I think it's like that for a lot of people with COVID. Did you hop on the motorcycle during COVID and just get out and uh, ride around? Yes, motorcycles and boats. That yeah. was my getaway because you could be okay on a boat. You're not going to get COVID on a boat unless you go on with a bunch of people. And a motorcycle, you, you wear a helmet, you're isolated from the rest of the world. Uh, yeah, you must was, love that because you can go out, you're not recognized with that helmet on. And right, the, uh, you're anonymous, right. Yeah, and, and by the way, when you take a boat, you're not taking out a crew. I mean, you're, you're, you know how to ro- operate a boat. I mean, you really know what you're doing on a boat. So it's kind of liberating, I guess. It's a freedom. Yes, there is a freedom to it, absolutely. Well, the thing I was getting at, and uh, maybe you don't want to talk about this, but uh, during COVID, uh, I happen to know this because I know your wife. She said that you guys paid your band. That um, a lot of I had heard. I know a lot of musicians. Some people didn't pay uh, their bands, but your band, you paid them for the whole what year or two that you were off the road. Um, that's something very magnificent. I mean, I think that's a that shows what a good guy you are. I mean, that's a genuine. Um, uh, act of uh, gratitude to your band and showing uh, good, you know, and it shows them good faith. I imagine they were kind of startled by that. Well, I I did pay them full salary for a year. Uh, I I have a great band. I'm so happy to have them on stage. I'm so happy that they stay with me when I go out and I do gigs. I don't do right. as many gigs as I used to do, but there they are. Um, and I, back in the day when I had some money issues, I wasn't able to take care of the band the same way I am now. Right. Um, I wasn't able to compensate them and, uh, I wanted to take care of the band. So, uh, I didn't want to, you know, blow my horn about it, but it was, no, I didn't want to embarrass you by saying it, but I'm saying it because I think it's a good lesson that, uh, people of your stature who have the money, um, it's the right thing to do, is it not? And, and, and maybe a good, you know, did any musicians come to you and say, hey, gee, I don't know what to do. I'm talking about famous musicians who have money. Gee, I don't know what to do. I'm not touring. I don't know if I should pay my band. I mean, do, do those kind of conversations go on? Because you're talking millions of dollars, right? I'm talking about if you pay a full band, you're talking millions and millions of dollars that you have yes. to shell out. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was millions. Uh, but I didn't really have conversations with other musicians about how, you know, they were working with their musicians. I just did it. Uh, myself, I, I want to take care of these guys because musicians really took it on the chin. They couldn't, we couldn't work, we couldn't perform, we couldn't appear anywhere, we couldn't right. get jobs. Uh, uh, we were like one of the last people on the totem pole, I think, after sports figures. Right. Uh, we had to wait for all these venues to open and clear people to get in. It's still up in the air whether a lot of these venues are going to be available to us or not, whether people are going to wear masks, whether there's a vaccine passport. Uh, we're still waiting on some venues to see if we're going to be able to work or not. So it's well, very the con- iffy. Yeah, the concert you have coming up at the Garden, though, that's that you got to be vaxxed, right, to get in. Yes. Uh, I assume yep. you want that. I mean, you have uh, to prove you know. at least double vaccine. Right. Yes. And, and, uh, and, and that's the very least. You have to do that. Uh, and I, I don't think. know if maybe people are going to wear masks too. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, you know, look, if I had to wear a mask for, for two and a half, three hour concert, I don't know if I'd want to go somewhere. So that right. affects ticket sales. Right. Um, and, and people got to be paranoid. Am I, does the person next to me have, uh, coronavirus? There's, there's a lot of ifs. It's very, very iffy. It still is. And this right. variant has thrown a monkey wrench into the whole thing. Yep, so yeah, it knows. sure is. Yeah, right. Well, you know, I, uh, well, I applaud you for doing that. I, I, I just think it's such a, a magnanimous gesture to say to your band, look, man, you guys are covered. Um, and I know a lot of musicians aren't doing that. What about, how are you going to determine the set list these days? Like when I go through, I was going through your catalog last night and I'm, I'm playing, this is one of my favorites, Miami 2017. This is a remarkable song. I would think you got to play this. 
when you do a concert? Do you? How do you plan the set list? And is the set list the same when you're at the Garden, or do you change it every show? We can change it at the Garden. Right. We can change the set list at the Garden. Um, and 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 stadiums, we change it up all the time. Um, this song is this is a New York song. You have to do this in New York City. I know. It's so beautiful. You like your voice on this one? No. No? Ugh, you're insane. I, I got the chill. I sounded like somebody else. Now, when you Brother, hear your you... own voice on, on your program, oh, uh, does it ever bother you? Oh, it bothers me. There's a million guys I'd rather sound like, but uh, what exactly. am I going to do? Yeah. yeah, you're right. That's a good point. I mean, is there like a radio voice that you admire? We oh, my God. Sound like? Well, don't forget. I mean, my father was a recording engineer. And, uh, it, and and when I would see guys like 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 uh, some of the greatest announcers doing commercials up at his studio, everybody had a great voice. Raymond Burr had a voice that was so powerful. When he would do a commercial, it was phenomenal. And uh, you know, I you know all of the guys, all the uh, WMCA good guys, all the WABC guys, uh, who, uh, you know, all those guys, Herb Oscar Anderson. You know, they all had that delivery, and they were all like, you know, perfect. Oh, my God. They had beautiful voices. And I said, how am I going to be on the radio? I, hear you. I, I don't have a so voice like that. You have you suffer from the same complex that I do. I, yes. I want to sound like other singers. I don't want to sound like me. I, I, I was thinking <laughs> if I was going to be a radio show host, I'd want to sound like Scott Muni. <laughs> oh, yeah, Scott Muni. Scott I mean, Muni, yeah. yeah. Spooky Tooth. Did you know Scott? I mean, you must have known him. You must have done a couple of interviews with him back in the day. I, I met him a couple of times. We did some interviews, and I always liked listening. And Roscoe, he was the other guy. Roscoe was terrific. Yeah. Allison yeah. Steele was great. You know, uh, I worked I, with Allison Steele. I, um, yeah. When I was on K-Rock Radio, she was doing, it's so sad, she was doing overnights. She was an old woman. She actually died while she was working there. You know, like, yeah. uh, um, yeah. and uh, well, I would come in the studio. I was the morning guy. And it would be Allison Steele. I'm like, oh my God. She's like, yeah. I worshiped her. You know. Hey, do you remember the first time you saw me? I remember the first time I saw you. We Where were did at, we see you? You were working at NBC Studios. You were on the main floor. There was a glass <laughs> thing that you could see coming in the front door. There's Howard Stern doing his show. Right. And I was uh, set up to do an interview that day with Soupy Sales. Oh, Jesus. Oh. <laughs> I walk in I walk in the door with the Columbia Records guy and yeah. Howard sees me and starts freaking out. Wait a minute, there's Billy Joel. Where's he going? How come he's not coming in? What he's yeah. going to do with with the other guy? He's going to he, how come he's doing stupid sales? He's not doing me. And you went off on a tangent. And oh I'm my thinking, god. Please, please God, I had nothing to do with this. Back in those days. Well, Billy, first of all, back in those days I was insane. And first of all, Soupy was my boyhood hero. I loved the Soupy Sales TV show. I thought it was the greatest. And Soupy was my hero. And then when, because I was such a, a shithead, when they signed him to do Middays, I became irate. I didn't want anybody else on the stage. I didn't want anybody else having an interview. So when I must have seen you walk in and doing the fucking Soupy Sales show, I probably went berserk back there. I, I probably went berserk. I was out of my mind. You scared the hell out of me. I bet. Oh, my, I don't even remember that. Oh, that's horrible. That yeah. is horrible. Yeah, my Jeez. first memory of meeting you. Oh, my God. What an asshole I was. <laughs> I can't believe oh you ever God. showed up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was I don't know. I don't know how you do the set list for these live shows, Billy. I don't. But uh, listen, I've kept you long enough. I'm, I, I mean, I got a million questions. Uh, you know, what can I tell you? But Billy Joel, what can we say? This man is too much. He's a great dinner guest, first of all. If you can have him over your house, <laughs> well, not dinner, everybody can have him for dinner. He can't eat. You don't know all, that. with everyone. <laughs> he would do that, I think. Uh, he loves he loves a good dinner, but uh, I do. You know, I wonder if you're as much fun now that you lost the weight. If we have dinner again at some point, I still I love to eat. I do. You do. Just I um. Less. I got to tell you, I love you. I don't adore you. I love you. Uh, you move me in ways that uh, few people can. Your music is, what can you say? 
it's it's outstanding. The the thing is, I don't know how the fuck you pick a. So how many songs do you do when you play the when you're coming up on this garden concert? How many songs are you going to do? Usually like twenty five, twenty six, maybe twenty eight mm-hmm. songs in a set. And and some of them you got to do right. I mean, the, there's a couple you got to put in there. What are the what are the go tos? You got to have piano man. Right. Uh, New York, you got to do New York State of Mind, Miami 2017. Right. Um, depends on where we are. Uh, there are, there are definitely go tos. You yeah. got to do this. Moving out, right? You got to. Yes. You should have me put together your set list. That's what you need me. What'd you say about this song? It's a kicker, it's one of the bangers. Yeah. It gets the crowd going. Crowd likes people, tempo show, show, uh, songs. Do people riot if you don't do Piano Man? Like, like literally, like, start complaining? They feel like they're ripped off. <laughs> yeah. Well, if we didn't do it by the end of the show, they'd be yelling it out because that's happened. I tried to get away without doing Piano Man a couple of times. And you get to the end of the show and they won't leave. They stand there and they go, Piano Man, Piano Man, Piano Man. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, jeez. Uh, yeah. yeah, I guess we got to do that one. Oh, it's such a mind-blowing show. God. Oh, man. I've had some. I saw you in Florida uh, do a show. I saw you in the garden do the show. I mean, I've been to a bunch of them. And each one is so special. I was um, at the last play at Shea. Don't leave me out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Robin was there. They, oh, you know what one you got to do? The, the most powerful song you do on stage, which... Is Good Night Saigon, I think. Mm. Um, when you do that, and then you sometimes call up veterans to get up on stage and sing with you on the chorus. What a powerful moment. How, when did, when yeah. did you start bringing, when did you start, when did you get the idea to bring those guys up on stage? Was it? Uh, actually, right away. Uh, when we were going to start to perform that song after I recorded it, which was like 80, 1982, um, we had the idea we should bring the vets up to sing the chorus with us in uniform if possible right but originally they were just you know like vietnam vets just wearing civilian clothes uh and then it, it became a thing so we always Can try you, to do that when we do that song if you go on youtube and you look up a performance of you doing this song live i read the comments underneath you probably don't but i do and every one of them here's the comments basically Billy never went to Vietnam, but these are from veterans. But Billy understands the experience of Vietnam from a veteran's point of view. They they say they cry every time. It it, it gets them in the heart. And the you know normally they wouldn't respond to a guy who wasn't in Vietnam writing about Vietnam. But this song, they say, it gets them. It, it and, and they respect the song. Well, that's kind of them. I I really don't know emotionally what they went through. I only know right. secondhand because I was told by friends who were veterans, this is how I felt. This is what happened. Write this. And mm-hmm. I essentially just wrote what they told me. But, were you uh, self-conscious I, writing it because you yes. didn't go to Vietnam? You were. Yes. I thought I wasn't, I wasn't worthy of actually writing what the first-hand, first-person experience was. But then I, I read that the, the person who wrote The Red Badge of Courage, which is the definitive Civil War book, was written by Stephen Crane, and he was not a veteran. He wrote it from the other soldier's experience. Right, right. Do, do you ever write a song and say, oh, uh, I like this song, but I'm afraid people will think I'm a douchebag if I write this song, or it's too corny, or it's too, uh, I don't know, it's not rock and roll enough. It's not. Do you ever get so much self-doubt that you throw this song out? You've thrown out good songs that you love, but you just say, I don't think the public will understand them. There are some songs I, I was thinking about throwing out that became hits. Uh, Just the way you are, I thought, ah, this is too mushy. This is too too much of a, a wedding song type of song. And I right. didn't want to put it on the album, but it ended up being our first big hit. Um, we didn't start the fire. I thought, well, I don't know if people are going to understand what I'm talking about here because it's all just a bunch of names and events. Right. Um, and... Who am I? What am I? Walter Winchell? Uh, and, <laughs> Delivering the news, yeah. And it's uh, actually a lot. It's interpreted as an apologia for the baby boom. It's not what I meant at all. It's just wow. a bunch of headlines. Uh, hey, this is what happened, and then the world's a mess, and it's always going to be a mess. 
So trying to second guess myself about what I should put out an album sometimes is a mistake. Yeah, well, that was, well, who was the who was the was it Phoebe Snow? I read somewhere that uh, convinced Phoebe you to Snow put out Linda Ronstadt. Yeah, Linda, Linda Ronstadt. Phoebe Snow heard just the way you are, and they said you're crazy if you don't use this song on your album. You really, really? weren't going to. You were. I wasn't you were going. not going. Wow, not, that Linda Ronstadt, huh? What I mean, what a voice on her. What a oh, look. She had pipes. Yeah, she was. She was great. She was fantastic. But she couldn't write music. She had to rely on the songs of other people. But man, could she sing? Yeah. She had the greatest pipes. She came over my house once in Long Island. She was in Long Island, I think at Westbury Music Fair or something. Yeah. And she came over my house and my mom brought all these cult cuts over. I was, it was a real thrill. <laughs> were, you, were you married at the time when she came over your house? Because I would think you'd fall in no, love with her. No, I was single. I was single. What? Did, did, yeah. did, did you uh, did you have did you attempt any romance with Linda Ronstadt at all? I, I was too intimidated. Really? She was so she was, she was very sweet. She was very cute, and she ate like a pig. <laughs> she, <laughs> what's that Steve Martin thing? Uh, Jackie O, and she ate like a pig. <laughs> was, the poor girl was she was hangry. You know what hangry is. Yeah, she hungry. Was so hungry, she just could couldn't get enough of the cold cuts my mom brought. <laughs> I can't but imagine I, that. I, yeah. yeah, I was too intimidated. Really? No yeah. kidding. God, what a nice matchup. I was. I was oh. very scared. Great beauty, adorable, can sing. Imagine that little relationship. Oh, the two of you, my head spinning. Yeah, but she was there, and then she was gone. So that was it. How come you never fell in love with another musician? I'm thinking about you right now. That would have been powerful. You and I don't know, uh, Stevie Nicks maybe, or uh, I could have seen this. What? A, what although maybe ego-wise, it's too hard because if you're on a roll writing songs and your and your lover can't come up with a song, maybe it's a pain in the ass. Maybe it would have well, been a disaster. What, I mean, what would happen if I was married to a singer and they wanted me to write a song for them? Okay, you're a hit songwriter, so write a song for me. That would have kind of put a kink in the relationship a little bit. Uh, who needs that pressure? Um, also, you know, musicians, we have jokes about singers. Musicians look at singers sometimes like, yeah, you yell in key, you know, big deal. <laughs> <laughs> you're screaming in key, who cares? Uh, we have a joke, how many lead singers does it take to change a light bulb? How many? How many? One. They hold the light bulb, and the entire world revolves around them. <laughs> so you're you're saying that joke about yourself, and then if you if you get into a relationship with another person like that, it would be probably explosive, is what you're saying? It'd probably be a disaster. I mean, I don't even think of myself as a lead singer. I happen to be the guy in this band that sings the songs. And they put the piano a little bit more out front. I'm always arguing with the stage guys. Can you move the piano back closer to the band? I want to be in the band. I don't want to be the lead singer. I want to be in the band. Because when I'm on stage, I'm thinking of it as a band. Not as me, Billy Joel, the lead singer. I'm hmm. the star. I always think of it as an ensemble. And I work with the band. Which is probably why I paid them when we were off for COVID. Because yeah. I'm part of that band. Uh, yeah. That's how I like to think of what we do when we perform live. It's all a band effort. Isn't it funny, Billy, how I have these fantasies? Like if I was you, that I'd want to be with another powerful singer. Like there would be this tremendous union of talents as we, you know, like when you read about Graham Nash and Joni Mitchell having this love affair and they and Graham writes our house while Joni's putting flowers in the vase. You know what I mean? I, I, I fantasize that life, but you want nothing to do with that. Absolutely nothing to do with it. Well, I know what it's like to be the singer and I, mm -hmm. and to fall in love with like a woman who that was her job. I see it being contentious. Uh, I see it. Be, you know, you, you I think you think it's sexy to have yeah. two like pop singing stars combine is, their yeah. talent as, <laughs> as if it's some kind of cosmic energy will happen. It's. You know, it's magical just to have a regular relationship. Who needs all that other crap? <laughs> you don't need, you got enough going on. Listen, yeah. Billy, you've been very gracious. The next time, if I ever get you back on here, I'm going to ask you about George Martin and the decision to uh, not have him produce The Stranger. That's something I want, but I know I've kept you long enough. You probably have to pish. I have to pish. Everyone here has to pish. 
if you know well, what well, I'm talking about. Well, let's do this about. again, though. Let's do it again. I miss you. Uh, again, I just want to say thank you, number one, for doing this. You know how thrilled I am every time you come on. Uh, I'm Billy, just happy is, to see you. Am I going to see yes, you thanks. anytime soon? Yeah, you are, actually. We got we to gotta work that out. Uh, okay. You know, yeah. Billy returns for his monthly residency at the Garden on November 5th. Billy Joel, the vinyl collection. Check it out. Volume 1 will be available next Friday. Uh, listen through the weekend to the Billy Joel channel, Sirius XM Channel 70. Billy will come on, pop on there, and talk about some of his favorite music. And uh, you're just... I love you. Thank you for doing this. And uh, thank you for all of the great music and all of the great entertaining that you do. I'm, you know, I'm beyond a fan. All right, Billy. All right, lots of love. It's a pleasure to have you here again. Thanks, Robin. And I I look forward to having a 25-minute dinner with you. I have a plan (laughs) where we're going to get in and out in 25 minutes. It's going to be over. That's right. Let's go for it. (laughs) We're going to do it. Don't worry. The dream will happen. All right. Take care, Billy. There he is. The amazing Billy Joel. The amazing Billy Joel. What can I tell you? What a talent. I there can't he believe he, he really doesn't like his own voice. You know, I, I really thought that that was a bunch of uh, baloney. But then I, when he said, when, when he, you listen to right, your own voice yeah. and you hear yourself on the radio and he's right, I, I, I go, oh, gosh, what is that? Um, well, I I know that you know, and and as a painter, you you know it too, that you're trying to create something, and it has a look and a sound and a feel and a texture, and and yeah. if you can't bring that out because you don't have those skills, you know. So he's writing about you know a song based on his love of Gordon Lightfoot, and then Billy Joel is singing it. You know, right. I guess that can be eerie. Anyway, great guy, uh, really amazing. And I uh, want to thank Billy again for doing that, Robin. So and, generous um, to give us all that time. Yeah, yeah. Well, who knows? I just took that time. I don't know that he even wanted to give it. Well, he he didn't leave. <laughs> no, he didn't get up and walk out, so that was good. All <laughs> no, right, he listen. Did, he did agree. <laughs> We're going to see you next time. Uh, blah, blah, blah. There's a whole bunch of stuff we didn't get to, but, you know, there's always the next show. We're going to do that and. uh and uh, that's it, right, Robin? Unless uh, that's, yeah, that's, that's it. all oh. she wrote. Yeah. Uh, next Tuesday, uh, Kristen Stewart's going to stop by, and also, I should. Well, I don't know if uh, Ed Sheer Ed Sheeran's supposed to be with us, but I know he's he's had to cancel a bunch of things, so I don't know if he's yeah, going to be with I just, us tonight. I saw that he was on The Voice this week, but that's probably mm-hmm. recorded or something. Yeah, I think. And then he was supposed to do Saturday Night Live, right? And you don't know yeah. if he's going to do that. I don't think he can do that, but yeah. Uh, Uh, Anyway, all right. See you next time. Bye.